Um, Fudd Fud said that I had one thing to do when I got up here, and that is announce that there will be lunch on the lawn after second service. So have a good week being the church. <laughs> no, I'm joking. We're actually going to uh, exposit God's word as well. So um, I'm Joe Mueller. I'm one of the, the elders here at Remedy. And uh, over the past two works, we've been exploring, looking at, uh, investigating the two ordinances of the church, the the Lord's Supper and baptism. And we did baptism first because that's the, the first one. Um, and, and baptism, if you remember, right, it's, it's the sign that initiates the believer into the visible uh, covenant community of God. Uh, it's a sign that makes visible an invisible reality that this person who is being submerged uh, has died with Christ. They, they've died with Christ and they will be raised from the dead at our Lord's return. So they enter into his tomb and they, they exit it with his resurrected flesh. Uh, it demonstrates for all to see that all their sins have been washed away. Just like dirt on our skin is washed away in, in the bath or in a river or in a shower. Hopefully we all know that. Um, their bodies are clean. And it makes... It makes us and marks us uh, a member of God's elect and confirms to us our salvation. It confirms that all these things are true. Uh, it, it, it makes real uh, something like physical. It makes tangible. It makes something that we can touch and remember and, and, and experience with our bodies uh, an internal reality that no one else can see. An internal reality that sometimes even seems a foggy to our own hearts. Uh, but it makes it certain. It makes it true. It, it's something that we can look back on and remember uh, when we were baptized. And last week, uh, we began to investigate the Lord's Supper from John chapter 6, which in the Bible in front of you is page 580. So go ahead and turn there uh, if you have uh, a Bible or, or have one there in front of you. And we're going to conclude by looking at the, the next six uh, lessons or promises or um, um, assurances that we have in the Lord's Supper. Well, a uh, quick recap of the first five. Um, so we were in John chapter 6, and the first thing we saw is that Jesus came down from heaven. We saw that in uh, 633. Uh, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is truly God and truly man. He is the Savior of the world, and this is who we come to in the supper. We come to this Jesus in the supper. He, he's our King of kings and he's our Lord of lords. Jesus is the one who is and who was and who is to come. He is our creator, our redeemer, our savior, and our sustainer. Jesus claims that for himself in the supper and Jesus makes that available to us in the supper. Jesus also gives life to the dead world. Uh, that was our second point. As the God-man, uh, Jesus testifies that he offers himself to us for life. Uh, contained in this testimony is an indictment of the world. The world is, is dead. And if the world could give life, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come into it. So the supper condemns the things of the world and testifies to us that death, physical and eternal, awaits all who do not repent and believe the gospel. In addition to the warning, the supper also reassures us of two things, uh, that Jesus will never cast us out and that Jesus will lose nothing that his father has given to him. And what comfort this is to the church. 
Uh, Last week, we took heart in knowing that if we have faith, Jesus will accept us and love us and wash us and redeem us and change us into his image. It is certain, and he offers it to us at the table. As we come to him, and as we confess our sins to him, and as we lay our burdens upon the cross, and we let Jesus bear them for us, he will never cast us out, and nothing can take us from him. He won't lose us, as God's own possession will proclaim his excellencies and will declare to the world that Jesus is great and Jesus is the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what the supper says. The supper also says that Jesus will grant us eternal life. We looked at the eternal life of knowing Jesus and being with God as his people from John 17, 3 and Revelation 21, 1 through 8. What a blessing and what a joy it will be to know God more and more and more each and every moment of all eternity. And so that's what we saw last week. And those, those are precious promises. And we have uh, six more to get to today. So now uh, let's read a bit of John 6. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll pick up and we'll just read the same thing that we read last week. So if you are able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? We'll be reading John chapter 6, verses 52 through 59. Uh, The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat and let's pray. And so, Lord, we, uh, we come to you needy. We come to you um, burdened by our sins. We come to you weary of our weak. Uh, we come to you um, excited about all that you're doing in our lives um, but, but even that excitement, uh, we understand that you are the one working. You are the one doing. You are the one that we come to as our source and our supply. And so, God, we pray uh, that we would be um, changed by your spirit this morning, that your word would uh, do its work of, of uh, condemning sin in our hearts and revealing Uh, how we need to repent and to change and to be made new, and that your spirit would do the work of actually making us new. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So we concluded in John 6.40 last week, which, uh, which says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So that was our our last point, that uh, Jesus will grant us eternal life. 
Now in, in John 6, 41, uh, the, the narrative continues. It says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And, and this, they, they uh, continue, they say, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? And so the, the, this is a, a common theme. Uh, the Jews uh, of Jesus' day thought because they knew where Jesus was from, they knew his family, they knew his parents, that they knew he couldn't be the incarnate son of God. Uh, the Jews stumbled over the incarnation. And, and similarly, too, in our society today, we have people who deny Jesus. They deny that he could be the incarnate son of God. It's a little different I think in, in our day and age, more and more people deny that Jesus is the Son of God because they deny that God is even a thing, right? That the concept of God, of deity, of, of the creator of the cosmos could even exist. But the church has testified that God was and God is and God is to come. God is, as, as Anselm, who this old guy, I think he was writing around uh, the turn of the century, the turn or the turn of the millennium, the turn of the first millennium, right? That's a joke. Um, so a thousand years ago, he put it this way. God is that than which nothing greater can be thought, right? This idea that God is the, the supreme being, the, the infinite, the almighty, the, the, the sum of every conception of that, that humans could even think about could be good is what God is because God is those things, right? He is a creator. He is a source of, of everything beautiful and good. Uh, but Jesus doesn't get into this with the Jews, right? He doesn't get into this idea that God exists and that he is the incarnate son of God. Instead, he talks about what it means to be called by God. Uh, we see that in verse 43. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And so the, the first point of this sermon, but the, the sixth point overall is this, is that Jesus is mine because the Father has taught me and drawn me. The supper confirms that our salvation was initiated by God. What we are talking about here is often called the, the doctrine of election. How did a Christian become a Christian? That's what the, the church has talked about it as. And this doctrine helps explain and announce to us the answer to several questions that I know have burned in my heart, maybe have burned in your mind and heart as well. And, and we need to carefully consider is how does this whole becoming a Christian thing work? How does, it, how does it work? How was the curse of sin overcome in my life? How is this burden that I bear lifted? How is it removed from me? How, how do I get rid of it? And who ultimately is responsible for the eternal life that is now mine in Christ? And Jesus' answer, as recorded in, in, by John, is God. Uh, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. 
The supper is a reminder. It is, uh, it is making visible an invisible reality that God the Father has drawn us to faith in the Son. And so when we hear the, the voice of the minister that come to the table, it is, it is so, supposed to be a symbol, a signify, a demonstrate to us the voice of God calling us to Christ. This whole becoming a Christian thing actually worked because the Father taught me and drew me to Jesus. The curse of sin was overcome in my life because the Father taught me and drew me to Jesus. Ultimately, God is responsible for the eternal life that now is mine in Christ because the Father taught me and drew me to Jesus. Romans 3 puts it this way, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. So it's this whole idea that uh, being counted righteous by God, being, in, being considered uh, in, in the court of the cosmos, right, just, righteous, in good standing with the Father. Now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. In, in creation, right, a covenant was made with all of creation that is to do this and live, right? You had the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree uh, of life. There were symbols in the garden. And, and one signified if you obey the covenant, you receive this life. And the other signified if you break the covenant, it, it is death. And so the, the, there was a righteousness that, that is attained through the law. It's the righteousness that Jesus attained for us, right? He obeyed the law perfectly. He, he did everything right. He never sinned once. He did all that was required of God's creation in this world. Jesus did it perfectly. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Righteousness, which is considered the basic condition without which no one will see God. Right? You have to be righteous to be able to see God. We, we see that in Hebrews 12, 14, and Matthew 5, 8. 2 Corinthians 7.1, Ephesians 5.5, 5, Revelation 21.4. You have to be righteous in order to have eternal life. You have to be righteous to see the righteous God. And this has been manifested. This righteousness has been made real, has been given away in this way. For there is no distinction, it continues in verse 22, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, for whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that we might be, he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God, in other words, is the one who makes you a Christian. It is God who overcomes the curse. And it is God who is ultimately responsible for the eternal life that now lives within you as a believer. We see Paul uh, is thinking this way. He's thinking about responsibility. He's thinking about ownership uh, because the, in verse 27, he's, he starts with this. He, he, he jumps into a line of questioning that deals directly with who gets credit for my salvation. Verse 27, then what 
becomes of our boasting. It is excluded. It's excluded. So if it was included, if you could boast in your salvation, uh, if you had earned the life that now resides within you, then you had to have reason for boasting. You could rightly, even at the very least, say to your fellow men, right, to, to other men, look how I saved myself from the coming destruction. I worked for it. I have been judged by the law and found sufficient. God has looked on all my works and declared me on the basis of my working righteous. I am reckoned righteous in God's eye because I am righteous. Look at all that I have done. But is this what Paul and John are testifying to us? No, it's not. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. John 6, and 45, no one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. God is the one who draws me, who teaches me, who declares me righteous, who justifies me. Now back to Romans 3.27. By what kind of law does he do this? By what kind of working does he do this? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. And so, so we didn't earn it. We just achieved it by placing our hope and our trust and our belief in Jesus Christ. For the one, for we hold that one, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Therefore, at the table, all of our boasting in our own efforts is put aside. We never come to the table with a puffed up chest saying, look what I've done for Jesus. Instead, we remember that God is the one who gave Jesus to us that we come and receive him as a gift. We have Jesus not because we found him, but because the Father drew us to Jesus and taught us. And it was in this drawing and teaching of Jesus that Jesus is found. It's the only way. Through all of life's circumstances, if you are a Christian, the Lord of creation has, has wooed you, has brought you, has urged you to come to his son. Jesus is mine because the Father has taught me and drawn me. And this should lead us to an experience that's both a great mix of humility and rejoicing. Because when, when we come to the table, we're, we're experiencing something we never deserved. Never deserved it. But the gift is so good, right? So we're humble in heart, but we're rejoicing uh, because the gift is so excellent. What we can never attain on our own is ours by the gift of God. And we are justified by his grace, Romans 3.24, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace has brought us and has brought you to the table. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Do you believe today? Do you believe in your heart in Jesus today? Have you put your trust and your hope and your faith in him today? It's that easy. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life 
of the world is my flesh. This is our, our seventh point. Jesus' flesh is given. He was crucified for life. See that in 651 there. I am the living bread who came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this uh, bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. As we come to the table, we should hear the words of, of 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The table reminds us uh, of Isaiah 54, 4 and 5 and 6. Uh, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, had gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The table is our reminder that a penalty for sins that our lives deserved was cast upon Jesus. And that in return for this exchange, he gives us life that we can never earn on our own. So we come with, with, with death and we bring it to Jesus and we hand it over to him and he gives us life in return. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He, with, with the same act, paid for all of our sins and gave us eternal life. On the cross, Jesus' body was broken like bread and his blood was poured out like wine for us. The breaking and pouring at the same time doubly benefits all who believe and trust and hope in Jesus. All our sins are at once paid for by Jesus' sufficient and effective sacrifice and all life is offered to us in the bread that is his flesh. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus offers that to us in the table. But the Jews stumbled over Christ crucified. They stumbled over it. Verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The third point of the morning is that Jesus will resurrect our bodies. We see that in 39, 40, but uh, we're, we're dealing it with, uh, here in, in 54. And, um, you know, we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. Every Sunday we celebrate it. That's why we have... We meet on Sundays because this is the day that the Lord was raised from the dead at dawn, right? Uh, as the light was, was breaking through. Um, so, and it's, we, we can forget that it's no small thing to see somebody rise from the dead. Um, few humans have ever witnessed a resurrection. Um, and none of us has seen somebody long dead rise. None of us. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's ever recorded in the Bible having a long, long dead. So we're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years uh, being dead, thousands even. 
in, in the, there's 10 resurrections that I, I remembered uh, from the Bible, right? There's uh, the son of a, a Zarephath widow. Um, there's the Shunammite son. Uh, there's the dead man in Elisha's tomb, right? Elisha's buried. They throw a dead body in there, and then boom, he pops up, and he's alive. Um, there's the son of the Nain widow. Uh, there's the daughter of, of Jairus. There's Lazarus. Uh, there's a bunch of resurrections when Jesus is crucified. There's Jesus' own resurrection. Uh, there's Tabitha. And then there's Eutychus. That's the dude who falls asleep and dies. And then Paul raises him from the dead. Um, so that, that's 10-ish. 10, like, resurrection events that are recorded in the Bible. Uh, 10. And of all the billions and billions and billions of people who have lived on this world, we're recorded 10 resurrections. I don't, I'm not super great at math, but I know that that's a really small percentage of people who have observed uh, a resurrection. Few of us have seen the dead rise from their death. And yet Jesus promises us this, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, th this is a promise that was confirmed to us by the resurrection of Jesus, right? When Jesus rose from the dead, when he says, I'm going to raise you from the dead, we can bank on his promise. But we also have this, the 1 Corinthians six fourteen tells us this, that God raised the Lord uh, and will also raise us up by his power, right? Power. Um, power is, is usually uh, synonymous, synonymous with the, the Holy Spirit. So we see that in, in Romans 8:11, right? It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, which he does in every believer, the Holy Spirit lives within you. If you, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is yours. He, he lives within you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we have this promise of resurrection confirmed by Jesus' own resurrection from the dead and sealed to us by the gifting and sealing of the Holy Spirit who is the third person of the Holy Trinity. Jesus will resurrect our bodies through his spirit. But how is this confirmed to us? You see that in verse uh, 54. Whoever... Uh, feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So as you, as you come to the table, what's promised to you is resurrection. What is promised to you is that this mortal body that you have will be raised up on the last day. Because if we remember the words of institution, it says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So whoever feeds on my flesh, so that, like the, there's, a, there's a syllogism, which is just a fancy word for like an argument that uh, is going on here. So uh, Jesus says this in, in John 6, 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. We, can, we, we, we have that idea. We combine it with this other idea from 1 Corinthians 11, right? The words of institution that the bread of the Lord's supper is said to be his body, his flesh, 
And, and the drink is said to be his blood. And, and these, these are signs. They're not the actual things, right? It's not his actual physical human body. And it's not his actual physical human blood. But they're signs of this reality that is supposed to, to, to commend something to us. And therefore, when we come to the table and we eat these signs, these elements that, that signify that what's really, truly, spiritually going on of us feeding on Christ's flesh and drinking Christ's blood, what is promised to us in the supper is nothing less than the resurrection from the dead. And the resurrection of all the saints, it's promised to us in the supper. Now, um, this is comforting for those who are sick, right? This is comforting for those um, who are broken in their bodies. Um, because our sicknesses, right, our, our brokenness in our body is not the final word. It's not. And so when we, when we come to the table, we have a promise, an assurance um, from God that, that the, uh, a sickness will not overcome us, right? That um, the brokenness of our, our minds, right? If, you know, you suffer from uh, depression or anxiety or um, any of those things, that, those maladies that can break our bodies, those are not the final word for us. And the supper reminds us of that truth and the supper confirms to us that Jesus overcomes but how is this so, right? How, how is this so? By what mechanism does this actually occur? Does this resurrection, this transforming, this overcoming happen? Um, for my flesh is true food. Verse 55 continues. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, blood abides in me and I in him. And that's our, our ninth Ninth point of what the supper promises and assures to us. Jesus is united with us. Jesus abides in me and I in him. That's how Jesus talks about it. Abiding with Jesus, Jesus abiding with us is a theme that runs throughout John's gospel, but finds like focus. It finds focus in John 15. John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him does not abide in, uh, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. As I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The church abides. And the supper both warns and comforts us. It, it warns us with the penalty of not abiding. Right? You see that in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So too the supper is a warning. That if we don't repent and believe the gospel, the body and the blood of the Lord become an indictment against us. They indict us. 1 Corinthians 11 29 says, for everyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is the classic warning of, of covenants. If there's co covenants all over the Bible and they always come with warnings, curses, and blessings. So, so Deuteronomy eleven twenty six and 28 puts it this way. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The, the table is that. The blessing if you obey the commandments of our Lord our God, which I commanded you today. The, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord our God, but turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. But what blessing? So we, that's the, the warning, right? Is that if, you don't, if you're not abiding, you, you'll be removed from the vine and you'll be, you'll be destroyed, but what are the blessings that Jesus is offering in the supper? What is available to us in abiding in Jesus? The, the first is that we will bear fruit. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, uh, right? He, he trims it so that it will bear more fruit. And verse 5 is, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, uh, he it is that bears much fruit. He will bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. The second thing that Jesus promises us by abiding is that we will have all our requests taken care of. See that in 15.7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It will be done for you. The, the third is that we will glorify the Father. We will uh, Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Um, the, the fourth thing is that we will have the love of Jesus. Verse 9 says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And the fifth thing is that our joy will be full. Uh, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Abiding is a big deal. It's a big deal. And the supper reminds us that we abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in us. Just, just as food, right? When you eat food, it, it literally becomes part of your body. The, the ancient people, I don't think, understood this, but like today we understand that. We, the, the, it literally becomes part of your body. And, and so that's what, that's what it teaches us. That's what it shows us. That's what it, it means to us that as, as certainly, right, as this food gets into my gut, right, and I break it down into, you know, uh, what, proteins and lipids and all those carbohydrates, and then I send those out to the rest of my body and it fuels me, right? So certainly, 
Uh, Jesus supplies all of our needs, right? Jesus gives us life. Jesus makes himself part of us and we become part of him. We are like the vine grafted in, right? We're the branch grafted into the vine. And we get all of our nutrients, all of our support, all of our life, all of our, all of our everything that we need through that connection. And that's what the supper teaches us. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So back uh, to John 6.57 here. Um, As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he, will, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. I'm, I just imagine Jesus is like thumping his chest like, this is the bread. Um, that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Um, now, uh, the, the shocking part of this story is Jesus just offers all of these promises to people. He just lavishes all of these promises upon all these people And then in verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Like, this is hard. Why? Like, they didn't hear the words of Jesus. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do not, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And so our, our tenth point is, is actually in this, this part of ascending. Um, and it, 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 it bears a lots of similarities to our, our first point from last week. And it is this. Jesus is ascended to heaven. That's uh, the third or tenth, sorry, tenth promise, assurance that's given to us in the supper. So Jesus is ascended to heaven. The table should, should remind us, should draw our minds from this physical bread to our, our, our physical Lord sitting at his Father's right hand. The table reminds us of our ascended Lord. Forty days after Jesus rose from the dead, and it appeared to many, many witnesses, he took up his place at the Father's right hand. He ascended to heaven. And from there, he rules his church in all of creation. And we are comforted knowing that both the resurrection and ascension confirm to us all that Jesus promised to us on this earth. It signifies that no mere man did what he did. It wasn't just a regular dude who said cool things, right? He, it, this shows us that he was the God-man, Jesus Christ, and at the same time still shows us that he was a man. He was a regular man, just like all of us. He was human, fully human. Jesus, the God-man, who did come down from heaven, has returned again to heaven and will one day come for his church. The clouds he ascended up into, right, he will appear again in and he will gather us up to be with him. The supper uh, reminds us of his words in John 14, right? Jesus has gone away from us. He's, he's left his church. And, and Jesus has this to say. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you also may be. The supper reminds us that Jesus promised to return for us. But the, 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 the supper reminds us of that specific promise, but it reminds us more. The, the supper reminds us and brings our heart into the very presence that the spiritually through faith and feeds us with Christ himself. That's what the supper does. Not in the common elements of bread and wine, so it's not like you're physically eating the, the body and the bread of the Lord. Those are just the signs. They're the physical symbols of the invisible and spiritual reality that is truly being offered to you in Christ in the supper. In eating the bread and drinking the cup, all the promises of Jesus are, are made to you fresh and anew and are in view, and he is comforting you with them. He is, saying, he is saying, listen to all of my promises. What, what promise have I made to you that you need today? What promise is it? What promise pulls at your heart? When you come to the table, he is saying, yes, I am faithful. Yes, I will deliver. Yes, I will make it so. Yes, you are mine. Yes, I did it for you. Yes, I want you. That's what Jesus is saying to us in the supper. But how? How? And this will be our final point. How, how is this unseen, spiritual, real solution? So what, what's Jesus' plan for applying all these amazing, unbelievable promises that Jesus has made? How is he going to apply them to me personally? How is he going to make them true in my heart? How is he going to change me from being a, a sinner, right, who, who pursues my own passions, my own desires, my own uh, will, to become somebody who pursues God's will, who, who says, not my will, but yours be done, who, who glorifies God with the way that I obey his law and do what's right, and so honor Jesus and praise him. How am I made new? Who forms me into Jesus' image? Who marks me with the blood of the Lamb? Who feeds me on the body of my Lord and gives it to me to eat? And who, who gives me his blood to drink? Who unites me with Christ when I'm here on this earth and he is physically up in heaven? Who makes the life Jesus promises my own? Who does that? Verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That's our, our 11th and final uh, promise and assurance from the Lord's Supper. Jesus has sent his spirit to seal us and give us life. The spirit is the third person of the Trinity and he is our assurance, an able agent that all that the Father promises us and his Son is ours. He is, he is our assurance and our able agent. He is, he is the, the, the pledge. He is the promise. He is the seal. And he is the one who works within us to do this. Uh, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 speaks of the Spirit in this way. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and, and believed in him, right? So it, uh, this, this lays out for us a very important progression. Uh, people need to hear the word of truth. They need to hear it. We need to be the voice that speaks it to them. We need to, to speak the word of truth to the world. 
because it's the gospel of salvation. It's the power of God unto salvation. That's what the word of truth is, the gospel. And, and, and we heard that word and we believed in him. So in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, right? So those things happened, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It happened. When that happened, it happened, right? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So there is a sense in which, right, uh, the, the promise has been given, we've been sealed with it, but there is an acquiring that is yet to come. There is a, a moving into the, the promised land, so to speak, that we are, we are moving towards. So we have left Egypt, right? We have left Egypt. The, the, we've been saved from our sins and we're in our wilderness, uh, you know, we're in our wilderness wanderings. And in the supper, we have a reminder of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The names into which we are baptized are the names under which we feast with Jesus, right? The, 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 the supper is a Trinitarian experience, just like baptism is. And so the Spirit is the one dwelling with us right now and recreating us into the image of Jesus. It is the Spirit who is our cloud by day and our flaming fire by night who protects us from the Egyptians who seek to bring us back to the house of slavery. The Spirit is the one guarding us. He's our, he's our rear guard, right? That's, that's what he did for the uh, Israelites as they crossed the Red Sea. He's confounding our enemies. He's keeping us safe. He's protecting us from all harm. The Spirit is the one who brings us in the wilderness of this world to the true manna from heaven. And it is the Spirit who takes us to the eternal spring of life-giving water that bubbles out of the rock of ages. It is the Spirit who is at work doing that in you. The Spirit of the living God, God himself, is dwelling within you if you have put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus Jesus has sent his spirit to seal us and to give us life. Now, uh, we're going to conclude here, like right now, uh, by reading the, the end of the chapter here, all the way to verse 69. So, in, uh, the passage continues. Jesus says, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that not one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Church, let Peter's confession be your confession this morning. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for all the promises that we have in Jesus. We are grateful that they are renewed to us every Sunday that we come to you at your table.
that, that we are calling upon you to remember your promises and you are offering to us afresh and new all the promises that are offered to us in Christ. We thank you for this, this sign that makes real to us, makes tangible to us, which, which uh, assures our weak and frail minds of the certainty of these true and real spiritual realities. We need this, Lord, which is why you gave it to us and you, you ordained that it would be so. You have given us these ordinances. And so, Father, let us, let us come to the table to cast our cares upon you. Let's come to the table to, to be free of our sin and our guilt and our shame. Let us come to the table to embrace the Lord of life and praise and glorify his name and with, with humble rejoicing, Know that all that Jesus has done, he has done for me. And he has done for you. And he has done for us. And that as we, as we look with each other, we, we realize that we're, we're bound together. That there's a unity among us. That there's a knit together of, of a family, of a single body. Like, like a body. Jesus' body. And we, we, we are at, at one, once happy and excited and at once like in awe and shocked and, and full of, of the, the wonder of what we're doing. Lord, speak your truth to our hearts today. There are, there are people who need your spirit to make them new. I need your spirit to make me new. And so, Lord, do that in us today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So now we're going to uh, enter into a time uh, where we come to the table. So if you are a, a baptized believer uh, in Jesus, come to the table. Um, we're going to have, uh, I'm going to come down and, and break a piece of bread in a second here and, and stick it in the two places in the front. You can either break off a piece of that or, or, or pick uh, the other pieces. We also have wine and, and juice, and feel free to, to grab whichever you'd prefer. Uh, but, but examine ourselves, right? Uh, come and cast your cares upon